First of all, let me talk on the economy. Well, the, for the first time in quite a long time, all things are good. And what do we mean by that? Well, we've kind of got three synchronized good events going on right now, which is that uh, U.S. growth is is hovering just above the 2% rate. Actually, it came in stronger than that in the second quarter, and we're likely to see a number more closer to 3% in the third quarter, but it was a weak first quarter. So for the year as a whole, we're looking at about 2 2.5%. We're also seeing good global synchronized growth. So after many years of false starts in Europe um, and stop and go, especially formed by China in Asia, we're now seeing much more robust, solid growth right across the global economies. So it's much more coordinated and synchronized than it has been in a while. And then the other uh, fortuitous event, which is it comes back to earnings, so I'll touch again on it later, is the level of the dollar, which has been a week for most of this year, it's uptick just recently, but generally that's, if it's not too weak, if it's just in the right area of not too strong uh, uh, and not too weak, which it is, then that's generally pretty good for U.S. stocks. And so you've had those three things coming together quite well. On the economy, right now we are looking at a lot of distortions from the, from the hurricane. Uh, we saw this, hurricanes in Florida and Houston, of course. And this is very much what we saw in Katrina in 2005. Um, these tend not to be lasting macroeconomic events. Uh, obviously, it's pretty grim in places like Houston and Florida. Um, but what it does do is distort some of the numbers in the short term, primarily because quite often the data isn't available. So we want to look at what was happening in the economy just ahead of, just before the uh, hurricanes, and see if that will continue to continue. So. First thing, on things like uh, capital expenditure and industrial, so the backbone of the economy, we really look for upticks in those because those really reflect increases in business confidence and demand. We've seen things like the uh, uh, ISM trending up, that's the manufacturer's index. Also, we've seen trade be a little bit positive uh, in the uh, second and third quarter, so that should all uh, add a little bit more to GDP. Um, and I can't understate just how important the, the, uh, the increase in capital expenditures is because uh, that really is a sign that businesses are willing to put more money back into their core businesses. And capital expenditure took a huge hit in the oil and gas uh, decline in 2015 and 2016. Now, that was going on uh, at, at the time. and. It was a full-blown recession in that industry. From peak to trough, output and prices and activity declined about 80%. If you remember, that was when oil was you know, in one of, its, one of its peaks. There was an awful lot of shale gas and uh, you know, onshore drilling and pipelines going on, and it got simply overextended. It pretty much froze with capital expenditure. And although that industry is not a big employer, it did have side effects in things like uh, transportation and housing. So we did have a, a full-blown recession in an industry which, uh, which is pretty important to capital expenditure. That's now over, and the, the worst numbers are very much behind us. So we're beginning to see an uptick in some of the capital expenditure numbers going in to the Q3 and, and Q4. And that's been strengthening for a while, and even the Fed acknowledged this in their recent uh, minutes, which they put out and talked about capital expenditure going up. 
So that's, that's been good news. Trade's been good news. Capital expenditure's been good news. What about the consumer? This is obviously 70% of the economy. So without that, we really don't get a lot of growth and, and oomph coming into the market. Well, that, that also has rebounded quite strongly. It's not, it's not at uh, huge bubble levels, but we do expect that level to be up by about 1%, so to an annualized rate of like 3 4% for the rest of the year. Consumer sentiment has been doing pretty well. One of the things that we saw was a very big uptick in auto sales. Now, we do need to come back to the hurricane on that story because uh, U.S. auto light truck sales have been running at an annualized rate of about 16 million. So the numbers come out every month and we just annualize them for consistency. Uh, they, they troughed some years ago at below 10 million. They've kind of crawled their way back to 16 million. But the latest numbers we saw jumped about 18 and a half million. And so that's partly uh, people needing to replace the cars that were damaged in the storms. And we expect that number to uh, continue to increase. Uh, in in uh, in the, for the next uh, couple of months. Now, some of that is just purchases being brought forward. If you live in a place like Houston or parts of Florida, you have to get around, and the only way to get around is by a car or a truck. And if it's uh, underwater, that has to be replaced pretty quickly. So some of that will be spending, which is brought forward, which would be up, made otherwise in in 2018 and beyond. But nevertheless, that is, I think, a, a good indicator of where. Uh, consumer sentiment is heading, and we'll see some good numbers uh, going in the back end of this year. Um, so the other one is the uh, hiring expectations. So uh, the, those have been very solid. Now, we got a very strange print again on the new payroll numbers a couple of weeks ago for September, where for the first time since the recession, so in almost since the there was one print below 2010, but 2009, we got negative growth numbers, ne negative job numbers, about 33,000. But we do expect those to rebound eventually. They may not rebound in October, uh, but they'll rebound in September and in, in, in November. So we've got another kind of probably a slightly off month ahead of us. But after that, we should see numbers coming back between the sort of 75 and 150,000 new, new jobs numbers. And what happens, of course, is that people aren't able to get to uh, their jobs, so they um, so, so they declare themselves uh, as uh, unemployed in the survey or not able to work, um, and that, that that just is a a short-term uh, effect, just because uh, the, the the places where they work are not standing or not functioning or they're not able to get to work, and that also showed up in the uh, new jobs numbers as a slight increase in wages, which isn't so much that wages were increased, it's just that the people who typically have hourly or weekly paids dropped off the payrolls, and those tend to be uh, lower paid people, uh, and so that pushes the overall wage, wage increases up. We haven't seen wage increases increase yet, but that's more likely to be something that we go into 2018. But you put all this together, and we've got an unemployment rate around about 4%, and it was clear from the uh, minutes last week that this is getting to be a number which is uh, uh, in the minds of Yellen and some of the economists have trained in the 60s and 70s that this is uh, synonymous with, with higher inflation. So we certainly saw a lot of discussion about inflation in the minutes last year and I, last week 
and I think it's all triggered by the uh, inflation rate coming down to now touching 4%. And, uh, you know, typically for the last 20 or 30 years, if we've got to that level of, of, of unemployment, now it did get lower in the late 90s, but typically we've had inflationary pressure come just around the corner. So that's what's really bothering the Fed right now. It's not there today, but that's their expectations. And the stronger this job market is, even though it might represent continued underemployment or people just not recording themselves as uh, uh, looking for employment or they might, they might want to, um, it, it, it's beginning to get to the point where the unemployment rate is, is, is getting um, a, a lot of notice from the Fed. And even though we haven't it feed through into inflation, uh, many feel that that is just around the corner. And so we've seen slightly more hawkish noises coming out of the Fed uh, over the last uh, um, couple of meetings, and especially so in the September meeting. So that brings me on to inflation, which is the other uh, mandate of, of, the, uh, of the Fed, of course. And this is where the debate has been, essentially, where is the inflation? It doesn't seem to be coming through in either the core PCE number, which is the, the number that the Fed tracks, that's the uh, personal consumption's expenditure number, which strips out a lot of um, volatile CPI numbers, but they also keep their eye on the actual CPI number, and that has consistently failed to break through to 2%, which is the target that they, that they, they all agree is, um, is what they're aiming for. But there's some reason to believe that the CPI will begin to turn around. Now, when I say turn around, it's coming from a sort of a 1.5% rate to maybe closer to 2. So we're not talking about any big major acceleration in inflation here. I think uh, we're in a, a, a large sort of long secular trend where inflation is kept under wraps for a number of reasons, uh, employment conditions, um, overseas competition, uh, and uh, and domestic competition, but uh, but it does mean that there will be a slight acceleration in the CPI, and we've had a number of items in the CPI which uh, which will start to reverse, I think, over the next six to nine months. For example, you might have been reading about the cell phone rates, uh, which are down 12% year on year, and before you kind of rush to your cell phone bill and look for a 12% decline in the in the in the price, you won't see it. What you'll what, what that's tracking is that Verizon brought in uh, unlimited plans to compete with the T-Mobiles and Sprints of the world. And all the CPI uh, uh, analysts do is adjust for that and say, well, it's the same bill, $99 a month or whatever it is, but now it's unlimited instead of two gigabytes. So uh, we're going to extrapolate from that that it's equivalent to a 12% price decrease. So that's in there. It's in the data. And uh, once that starts... Um, you know, once they keep it in place, then the base effect will begin to wear off. The other uh, area which is um, probably not likely to see sustained falls that has affected the CPI, uh, kept it down recently, is, um, is uh, airline fares. Uh, again, that's mostly on the uh, overseas routes, which have a little bit more competition on the domestic side, uh, but that's not likely to continue for very long. And then the big one is the... Um, owner's equivalent rent, and this is a very strange uh, component of the CPI, and it's strange and it's very important. It's 30% of the CPI weighting, so you add in everything else that people spend money on, uh, you know, houses, cars, electronic goods, uh, you, you kind of name it, and uh, the OER is overwhelmingly the biggest one. 
and that's been moving at a rate of about 3%. But again, it's a slightly strange number that might come under pressure because what the what the uh, BLS does is is it, it, it assumes it takes the average rent numbers and it uh, and rent typically includes utilities and it subtracts utilities for that if you're a homeowner. So if you're the the house next door to you is renting for a thousand dollars but includes utilities, the BLS strips that out. If utilities are lower, then the equivalent the the owner's equivalent rent, i.e. excluding the utilities, goes down. And I think they're a little bit too quick off the mark to assume that those those utility rates will feed through to people's pockets. So anyway, a little bit of too much uh, um, noise there, but it does mean that some of these movements on the CPI, which we've been seeing for a while, it seems like every month there's you know a special idiosyncratic reason why we haven't seen inflation pick up, uh, but some of those might be running out of steam. So um, that's good, actually. I think that you know, moving inflation from 1.5% sort of flirting with deflation to a number more like uh, closer to, to their target is a healthy thing for the economy. It makes people slightly more confident. So that's the economy. Uh, so things are, are moving pretty well. And, um, and as I said, some of these uh, things like um, uh, hiring expectations and the inflation look like some things that have been holding those back a little bit might begin to turn a little bit. And now it's not going to be the 3% economy that the administration is trumpeting, but it will be more consistent to to and change to 2.5, perhaps 2. as high as 2.5%, 2.2%, um, and hopefully without too much sort of inflationary pressure. But it does mean that we, we might sort of start to break out of this uh, lower growth band, which we've been in for a while. Let's quickly just talk, flip to, um, to, to bonds and then stocks. I know people are more interested in that right now, given the level of the, of the, of the stock market, but we must first always start off with uh, the bond market and look to uh, 10-year treasuries, which is the kind of bellwether bond. And that has fluctuated this year between 2.1 to 2.5%. Yesterday closed at about 2.3%. And uh, the, the, the recent increase was almost all due to the expectations that a tax program will come through that would might increase, in, increase inflation a little bit. Um, now, the fact that it only kind of stalled out at 2.4% and immediately rallied back to 2.3%, I think means that the, the, the Treasury market is pretty comfortable with the outlook for rates. Uh, if they're, they're expecting a December rate, that's almost certainly in the cards, uh, and maybe one, one more rate in the increase in the first half of next year. But that's certainly not worrying the bond market overly at this point. And I think it's the right to be complacent. There's, uh, there's a huge demand for treasuries that's keeping, it, uh, keeping the, the rates somewhat w with a cap on them. And until inflation really begins to sort of poke its head consistently above 2%, I, I think people are going to be comfortable with a real rate of return on the 10-year treasury of about uh, another half a point above that. And then for investment-grade credit, which is what we invest in on behalf of clients typically, uh, that's going to be another point, point and a half. So you're looking at anywhere from 35 to 4% rate of return, coupon rate of return on bonds, which we think is, is pretty good in this, in this environment. The other thing that's uh, you know, overhanging the um, Treasury market right now, and it is temporary, is the uh, appointment of the next Fed chairman. Now, I'll, I'll give you kind of uh, four names to conjure with. 
and you can see why the market is a little bit um, concerned about which way it will fall. So before the four names, of course, there is a chance that Yellen might get reappointed. We really don't know, obviously, what's going on with these interviews right now, but um, there's a chance she might stay. There's two more uh, uh, Dovish members, uh, Jerome Powell and Cohn, who's in the White House right now, and there's two um, more hawkish members, uh, Marsh, who is a slightly odd FOMC member a few years ago, and John Taylor of the famous Taylor Rules here in Stanford. Uh, but anyway, until so that's a little bit clearer, I think the market's going to be a little concerned about which way the uh, Fed chairman goes. Let's talk about equities, really, because that, that has been obviously the strongest asset class this year by far. We've seen the S&P up 12%. Small company has recently rallied significantly, so it's more like, like up about 9% after a gangbuster 2016. And then international markets developed and emerging are up, uh, you know, over over 20%. So the market recently has all have been about tax, uh, the the impact and likelihood of tax changes, and of course the big one there is corporation tax. So it makes a lot of sense for small companies to rally on the back of a lower uh, possibility of a lower corporation tax from say the number of about 35% uh, to something lower than that because. The domestic small companies have a very high marginal tax rate as opposed to large companies which don't because they have more ability to shelter it and more ability to push it overseas. But the, the, the tax story has definitely pushed the market up uh, quite a bit. And you know, by some estimates, the, um, you know, that could increase earnings by as much as 10%. Just a single, uh, single change in the tax rate could, it could increase earnings uh, as much as 10% without anything else happening, without margins being improved or without volumes or orders or anything else affecting earnings. Second thing that's pushing the market is a good earnings season. It's not quite as good as the first and second quarter, but it is pretty strong. We're looking at 6 7% with revenue top line growth in the 2 to 3%. And that's pretty good for the market because the oil and gas sector is still recovering and the financials are still under a lot of pressure. You've probably seen some of the results from Goldman Sachs, I think, today, last week was JP Morgan. These guys are still a very large part of the index, about 15% of the S&P, and they're still not uh, doing as well uh, as they did in pre-recession, and they probably never will. So there's still a lot of um, uh, you know, upside to come from those two sectors, uh, and, and I think in some of the more growthier sectors of the market, like tech and healthcare, we're going to see quite, quite good earnings coming through. Um, in the current season, and so there's a lot of optimism around those, and then optimism about what the what, what management says. And uh, and the other point is the whole reflation trade, which is sort of mostly driven by tax. But if there is a little bit more reflation coming through, it's hard to see given the differences in the uh, budget programs coming from the House and the Senate and the White House. But uh, there does seem to be. I think it all comes back to changes in the corporation tax and perhaps some changes in the consumer tax uh, and personal tax rate. That's really what's driving that. I don't think it's going to be huge, but it doesn't have to be huge on the corporation tax to, to move the uh, economy very much. And then finally, just to wrap up on our stock investments overseas, the, the story stays very much intact. On the international side, we like continental Europe uh, because of you know, gradual reflation and a very continued easing monetary policy from the ECB. And Japan, which is uh, you know slow growth, but again some some uh, domestic changes and structural changes, which are generally pretty shareholder friendly. 
And then emerging markets, it's, uh, it's not quite all full to the races as it was in 2009-10, but it is a very solid growth story. And uh, it's led by China, of course, but India's doing pretty well behind it. There's some recovery in places like Brazil and Eastern Europe has been particularly strong. That's really a reflection of what else is going on in the rest of Europe. Uh, but for now, we, we like that emerging market story. It has run very well uh, this year. It's set us up in you know high, the, the high double digits, more like up 20% uh, for this year. Um, but it's still a relatively cheap market compared to the US. It, it trades at about a, a 15, 20% discount. So we like that and, uh, and continue to have the weightings there. So generally, just to wrap up, the outlook's pretty good. The economy, economies are slightly better, some changes. Uh, improvements coming up once we get past these uh, weird statistics from the hurricanes. Uh, bonds are settling into a trading range. We don't expect to break out of that anytime soon. And, and so stocks, pretty heady. You know, they've, they've certainly run up. There is some risk of a correction, but they are at least supported by pretty solid earnings. So uh, I'm going to unmute now. And uh, if people would like to un ask a question, um, the lines should be open. Your question will be heard by by everybody, uh, but if you would, if you do have a question, uh, please feel free to to ask ahead. My question was: um, I have a very conservative balance in terms of um, kind of asset preservation versus um, increasing um, uh, the the value. Um, I've, so I've had slight increases um, with um, the way I'm balanced with, I think it's, um, I don't know if I'm 50-50 um, <clears throat> or 60-40. I forget what my uh, my balance is between bonds and equity. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering if given your presentation, which is a little beyond my understanding in terms of all how the, all the components fit together, whether you're, you're going to readjust, say, the balance between bonds and stocks for different people based on their goals for investment or income. Yes. No. I'm. I'm, I'm sorry if the if the uh, presentation was <laughs> the low. No. No. Know, no. I'm just, I'm just not a financial. You know. I, I'm, I'm not. I don't. But I'm not criticizing it. I'm just asking for help on understanding how the impact might affect my portfolio yes. and how you manage it. Yes, certainly. Um, and if I don't answer the question, obviously feel free to call um, your financial uh, advisor at the firm and be able to talk you through it in more detail. But generally, what we're doing with clients, <laughs> say if they are in 50-50, they probably are more like 53 47 or, or even 55, 45 in favor of stocks right now, given the run-up. And we haven't really trimmed that back. In other words, sold stocks and, and increased the exposure to bonds because we kind of like where that balance is right now and, and feel pretty good about that, um, uh, about that overall balance. Now, uh, eventually, we'd want to get back to a target, but <laughs> given you know, the comments on inflation and our fairly you know, optimistic uh, outlook on equities and indeed bonds, we, we wouldn't be making any big changes there. Um, and also all the time for clients, 
you know, if it's not in an IRA or a 401k, we have to be sort of be mindful of taxes. And uh, there are plenty of gains right now. There aren't a lot of um, losses to offset them, just given how strong the markets have been. Um, does, does that help? Yes. And one more question. Is there any legislation you're expecting to come down from Trump in the near future that's going to affect um, tax taxes for um, high-income brackets? Um, you know, it's so difficult <laughs> to say. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the House version, which is the only one in detail, said that, yeah, it would affect it would it would favor the high end tax brackets um it, it's difficult difficult for them not to um but i the the big things about whether or not they're going to change interest rate deductibility or the big one is uh called salt i think which someone i know will know more detail than i but that's the tax deductibility of state and local taxes and uh that will um certainly help you know uh, the high ends if, if that goes through although I can imagine there's going to be some pretty fierce arguments about that but there doesn't seem to be anything particularly that will is going to help the high-end taxpayers but I'm sure there will be something in there all right thank you very much and then finally we just have one question which was uh, <laughs> comes from what what are your current thoughts on equity bond infrastructure portfolio rebalancing I think we covered some of that but I would like to just mention the infrastructure we think of the infrastructure in two ways. One is to, uh, with, with, with infrastructure of, you know, these are airports and ports and, and it could be pipelines and things that, you know, transport uh, the, uh, move the economies around or else are very uh, eco economically sensitive to, you know, traffic and trade. And we continue to like those, particularly in, uh, in Europe where we have some exposure. And where we've dialed down a little bit is in real estate exposure, specifically real estate investment trust. They've had such a good run-up, a multi-year run-up. We've been sort of trimming some of that back uh, as, they, as they've rallied. Uh, and there are a number of reasons for that, which I can go into uh, at a different point or, or write about it. But that, that's been such a good investment that we felt it was just good to take some money off the table, not come out of it completely, but on that infrastructure overall comprised of sort of European and some overseas infrastructure as well as US REITs to come back, to dial that back a little bit. It won't be a big change, but that's just one change that we're thinking of doing. Well, I, I, I fear I've gone over my allotted time uh, as usual, um, so I apologize for that. And uh, please uh, feel free to call us or e email us with any comments that you have. And now I'm going to um, to read out the disclosure. Please note the information provided in presentations for general information purposes only should only be considered individual recommendation or personalized investment advice. The investment strategy discussed in this presentation may not be suitable for everyone. Each investor needs to review an investment strategy for his or her own particular situation before making any investment decision. All expressions of opinion are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market or economic conditions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The opinions presented cannot be viewed as an indicator of future performance. Thank you, everybody.